the whole storytelling concept for us as creatives, I'm just, I'm understanding the importance of it and also finding more creative ways to execute on it. And the thing that triggered it for me was watching a whole lot of documentaries. Yeah. It starts and ends with understanding your audience and what they expect from you and what they're looking for from you and then delivering on that. The question I have off of this is that at any point in time, did you feel like you were alone with him? I have to admit that I felt this this guy is very attractive and very charismatic. So like you kind of find yourself falling in love with him a little bit. But like that just that just speaks to how intimate that kind of experience can feel when the story is told in such a good way. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at Pod4Creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Steve, when you were in middle school and high school, did anyone ever say to you, you can't just memorize the answers to these questions. You have to understand (laughs) the meaning behind them. Show your work. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I I was never a big fan of that stuff because honestly, I always thought the end game was just showing your answer. Like, you know, you got it right. Let's move on. And uh, no, apparently you have to show your work. So no, I was not a big fan of that rationale. And yes, I did hear that rationale. Okay. So I totally get the, it's annoying to have to show your work, but The reason I brought this up is because a couple of years ago, I was regularly listening to this podcast called Building a Story Brand, and I also uh, read the book that was written by the host, uh, Donald Miller, which is a great podcast. I would highly recommend it to our listeners. And at the time, I was consuming all of this information and thinking, this is great. Like I know that storytelling is really important for me as a business owner and as a creative, but all I was taking from what they were teaching through the podcast and through the book was taking their little formula for how to execute on it. But I was not showing my work. I really did not grasp the concept of it. All I was doing was saying like, sure, I'll take your instructions and I'll apply this to all of my projects. But I feel like it was not until very, very recently where I feel like it's really starting to click for me. And I'm a very slow learner. I say this all the time. So years later, the whole storytelling concept for us as creatives, I'm just, I'm understanding the importance of it and also finding more creative ways to execute on it. And the thing that triggered it for me was watching a whole lot of documentaries. Yeah. Do you feel like when you watch documentaries, obviously you're not going to watch anything that you don't feel like you're going to be compelled by from a a topic standpoint. Mm -hmm. But as you're watching them, do you feel like you are paying attention to the elements and the way that they are telling the story? 
Sure. I think there are two types of documentaries that you watch, right? I mean, this may be a, a dumb comment, but one, you know, the ending of already, mm-hmm. like what's yeah. ha- what's going to happen. <laughs> and the other is, oh, I had no idea about this topic before. And, you know, do you watch it to kind of learn? So I think you're more, I'm more apt to watch storytelling techniques and look for certain things when I know the ending of them, because it's a whole different way of presenting the the content. Recently, I had watched um, this documentary that CNN ran on Nixon and uh, Richard Nixon. I said, I know, is there another Nixon? Um, <laughs> Not and, that I'm uh, aware of. Right. Yeah. Um, and the way they presented the content was really it was unique in the sense that it wasn't done with a voiceover and it wasn't done with, you know, in, in those traditional matters. A lot of the storytelling was done through footage and pieces of, of content that aired on news uh, stations uh, back in the in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, well, I really suppose 60s and 70s. And that sort of kind of tied the entire series together. It wasn't really a more traditional documentary type again with a voiceover. And I found that unique because it kind of took you there. It almost felt like you were watching, you know, you could see yourself sitting at the dinner table watching the six o'clock news or watching Walter Cronkite. And, you know, it made it seem more authentic and real than it did as if you were kind of reporting on 40 years later, kind of reporting on what what happened. So I find the ones that I know the endings to that I have a genuine interest in the content to begin with. I found myself looking at those storytelling angles a little bit more closely with 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 those types of, of pieces. That's a really sophisticated approach to not have to overly explain to the audience and walk them through the story, but just to, I'm sure that they were very intentional about not only the clips that they showed, but how much of the clips, obviously the order, which sounds like it it was chronological, but it sounds like just that that real life footage was enough to carry the story on its own. And it sounds similar to the John and Yoko Ono documentary that I know, yeah. I know that we both watched recently. Another a, great Netflix one. What was the title of that one? So we can put it, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. John and Yoko, Above Us Only Sky. Okay. If you prefer to watch documentaries where there's like a lot of people and interviews, it, it does exist in that one, but it's it's so much more about just watching this footage that I'm guessing most people have never seen before because I feel like I have I am a Beatles fan, but I had had never seen anything close to this before. And just it felt a lot more intimate, like you were a part of their lives and getting to to experience that with them in this very small period of time. I think that's the best part of of documentaries is that it, you know, it takes you places you know, from a historical standpoint that you may not have had a chance to be in or be a part of. So I think that's where the storytelling piece becomes so integral to documentaries. This is that, you know, you're getting a look behind the curtain at something that you really, while you have an interest in, you really, you know, weren't there for, you didn't see it. So much like we see with, you know, brands today trying to implement this, the successful ones, I think, do that. I think they peel back the curtain a little bit and allow you to see parts of them that historically speaking, when it comes to brand and consumers, they really, you know, many didn't really do a good job enough of, you know, where it was just really more about the product. I think in documentaries cases, 
or rather in the case of documentaries, that's what makes a successful documentary is getting the raw look at whatever that 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 topic is and making you feel like you're actually there as a part of it. I have another documentary that I definitely want to speak on. But since you just brought up brands, I wanted to ask you yesterday, I saw you tweet or retweet with a comment to something that Nike posted. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Okay, so yeah. I kind of clicked on it and was watching it without the sound on, which I think I was losing a lot on. And also, I believe it was a at least a two or three minute segment, so I did not watch the whole thing. So I figured at that point, I would just ask you or ask you if you wanted to talk about that, because I think the comment you made was something like chills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously the, the U S world cup, um, is, is coming up. Uh, the women's world cup is coming up. Um, so Nike did an ad around soccer and, and, and the world cup, but using, um, young girls as kind of the, the, the crux of the piece. And, you know, much of Nike's content is, you know, centered around just do it and aspiring, urging you on to, to take that chance and to do more. So we've seen that with the Venus Williams ad earlier this year, the Colin Kaepernick ad earlier this year, or, or I guess it would be 2018 at this point. But this ad sort of centered around that same topic. And it was a longer piece. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a short, you know, 30 minute or 30 second ad. It was, it was about a three minute ad that they ran. They're very in tune, uh, whether it was with this ad, uh, where they're positioning young girls and this aspirational look, they're very aware of who's, who their audience is. And I think, you know, whether it was the Kaepernick ad or the Venus Williams ad, or this ad, they get the concept of brand. You know, they get the concept of 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 who their audience is, and and defining their their consumer. And then you kind of start building out from there. You start playing on emotion. You start playing on the things that you know are going to be successful in in the course of an ad. And that's where I feel like you start to get that emotion because you see this young girl who's the you know the I would say the main player in this entire ad. And she's on the field. She's walking out onto the pitch and running out onto the pitch with with teammates. And and she's seeing herself as part of this World Cup action. You know, we all had these dreams as a kid, seeing yourself on a bigger stage or seeing yourself doing something amazing. Um, and I think that has always been Nike's thing. The yes, just do it has been a big part of their their brand. It is their brand, but it's beyond that. So whether it was the Colin Kaepernick ad or the Serena Williams ad. And if I keep saying Venus, I meant Serena, my bad. Um, I, I think that's what they see. You know, you're, you're not just seeing the individuals taking the action. You're seeing themselves in this leadership aspiration and their audience is the ones who are aspiring to kind of be in that role. So that's, that's what really stood out so much to me about that, that one particular ad. And what I found interesting was granted I mean, you work in this space, you're looking at ads, you're looking at how brands are doing things, but you're not a soccer player. You're not a woman. <laughs> so the fact that it, it maybe you weren't exactly the audience for it, but it still triggered something in you emotionally just speaks to how good storytelling could have that effect on anyone, like be a, definitely your audience, but even beyond that. Yeah, I think you hit on something earlier where you were saying that, you know, there's so many blogs and 
podcasts out there that that swear, you know, if you follow this eight step platform to storytelling, you know, you'll see success or you'll you'll be able to storytell. And, you know, that's not really the truth. I mean, there are certain elements, I think, of storytelling that, you know, get woven. And I heard something a long time ago from Russ Klein, um, who is the former CMO of Burger King. And, and he's done a lot of big things over the years. But he said all great storytelling contains tension. And I, I didn't really understand that because you hear tension in your mind and you start thinking of like what strife or people fighting or arguments like, you know, that's not that's not great storytelling. But as I've I've sort of deepened my understanding, I think in this topic, you realize that tension really is more about watching the main character uh, in the story. Let's take this let's this latest Nike ad watching this young girl realize what's around her and realize the moment and the opportunity. And, and that's the tension element of it is, you know, your audience is watching this and going, what is this about? What is, what is she doing? Oh, I understand. Okay. Is she going to make it? Okay. Is she, you know, like that's, that's the tension piece. And I think that's part of, you know, what we're, what we're talking about here is, yeah, there are steps to follow, you know, yeah, there are, are certain elements of storytelling that I think are ubiquitous, but it starts and ends with understanding your audience and what they expect from you and what they're looking for from you and then delivering on that. And whether that's honesty or, you know, any other, you know, type of feeling when you pull back that curtain, those are the elements that you want to kind of have stay true in your branding. I want to go back to the tension piece for a minute, because I definitely wanted to talk about this. But I just happened to last yesterday afternoon, watch a movie that is pretty significant to me in my life because um, I have two family members who were a part <laughs> of this film. Um, my uncle, my godfather wrote the script for it. And this movie came out when I was probably 12 years old. And I remember it being a really big deal when it came out. And I, you know, I saw it even though it was like rated R, but I was allowed to see it because you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of kids who are 12 who are allowed to see rated R without like batting an eye, but I was kind of sheltered. So it was a big deal, big deal for, for me. Big deal for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially, you know, seeing it in the movies. But this movie is called Big Night. It is, I guess, considered to be more of an indie film. So I don't think it's very um, widely known, but I had not seen it since I was a kid. And it's on Amazon Prime right now for anyone who has Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. And I watched it yesterday and I was just kind of really moved and blown away. Yes, because I have this connection and I was feeling like a lot of pride for the fact that I'm part of this family that made this movie. Also because the focus of the movie is about, you know, being Italian and, and cooking and and eating and what an important role that plays in Italian families, but more so the reason I'm, I'm really, I, I was going to find a way to bring this up anyway, but <laughs> where I feel like it fits into this discussion was the very last scene. And I remember hearing as a kid, like the critics did not like the ending of this movie. And when I watched it as a kid, I was like, yeah, I can like see why they didn't like this because it, it feels a little bit unresolved but now watching it as an adult when I watched it yesterday I was like this ending is perfection and it is beautiful because that entire last scene I don't want to like I don't think this will spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it but it is almost completely silent 
there, you know, there are people moving and you're hearing their actions, you're hearing things clanging around. But as far as the dialogue goes, there are three people in this scene. And there's like two words that are spoken in probably a maybe it's like six minutes. And you feel tense, you feel tense, because the entire time you're thinking, First of all, like just going into it, something really tense happened right before this scene takes place. Mm. But in addition to that, if you're watching a movie and there are people on screen, you're expecting for there for them to be talking or for there to be some like musical interlude playing over it with like, you know, scenes flashing by. Like it's very rare that it's just silent. So you felt that tension. You're waiting for someone to say something. And no one does, but just the actions alone move something inside of you. If, if you, I mean, if you really are, are understanding what this movie is about, you will be moved and you will get past that tension. And I just, it had, it had really had an impact on me, and it, I felt like it was such a profound way to tell a story and a really great reminder to me that a lot of times the best way to make a point is to leave that space, is, t- is to say, really pay attention to this thing over here, and that's why there's all this white space around it. Yeah, that's that old um, Fred Rogers line about um, it's what you don't see is, it, is what you're interested in, and I think that kind of applies to what you're, what you're getting at here. Um, going back to documentaries, you had me thinking about just the way they sort of, you know, build up to a crescendo at a certain point. I remember going back, uh, this is a couple of years ago now and watching the Ken Burns Vietnam war documentary. And, you know, I, I don't remember how many parts there were nine, 10, eight, something, you know, some, some, let's just say 10 to make it around mm-hmm. number 10, 10 sounds official. <laughs> um, let's the, the whole, the whole buildup was, you know, as the war was starting to become, you know, there were there was more and more tension and, and things are starting to escalate a little bit more. The way he sort of made this film was whether it was the music choices, whether it was the speed in which things were being shot, whether it was the, you know, certain elements of silence throughout, you know, some of the middle chapters as it was starting to get into the heat of the battle of, of, of that time period. Um, you felt your heart rate sort of kind of beating a little bit quicker or, or going a little bit faster. Um, as you were kind of getting into this and this is a documentary and I, it wasn't lost on me at the time that you're sitting watching a documentary, which, you know, over the last, I would say five to 10 years or so, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about this, but of course documentaries, they, they seem so prevalent in our society today because of the Netflix culture and what people are watching. But, you know, growing up documentaries were associated with like, you know, you were going to fall asleep in the back of, you know, science class or something like that, because (laughs) who would want, who would watch these things? I mean, they were that annoying and that, that, that boring, but you know, there's an element of filmmaking and storytelling in documentaries. And, uh, you know, going back to your original question, I think that's, it's a really cool part about watching them now is, is that there's almost a filmmaking component of it. You're not just telling, this is what happened you know, from a historical standpoint, you're making a movie about real elements of things that took place in our country and in our world. Um, and you're trying to get people to really kind of hang on to that. I think for me, what really sparked this discussion started a few weeks ago. Um, and it was funny because you had texted me like right in the middle of me watching it, but I was watching 
the Bundy tapes, which is another <laughs> documentary that's on Netflix right now. Now that in contrast to that scene that I talked about that was done pretty much in silence, this was one of the most dynamic documentaries that I've seen. And the only one that I, that I can compare it to that I know that we've both seen is the keepers. Mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, the keepers was an, another Netflix <laughs> doc. Yeah. If anyone wants to watch it, probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever sat through to watch. Um, yeah, you weren't happy with me when I, when I made that recommendation and you started to watch that. It no. didn't seem like you were very thrilled with that recommendation at the start. No. And I think that if you had told me more about what it was or more details, I probably would not have watched it. Cause I think that the, that the way that, and this is kind of like a plot twist for the documentary itself, the way that they are telling you what the story is going to be and what the story ends up being are two different things. And mm-hmm. what the story ends up being is horrific. But even as I saw that story unfolding, it was told in such a compelling way and such a dynamic way that I was like, oh, this is just done so well that I had to keep watching. And I felt like the same was true of the Bundy tapes. Again, horrible story. I um, Even though it's something that happened in, in history that was well known, I legit did not know the ending. Like I was watching it with Jimmy and I said to him, I'm like, you know, I don't even know if this guy is still alive today. I really don't. I have no idea how this is going to end. But that didn't even matter. The way that they told the story, and I'm hoping this isn't a spoiler because you kind of will get this from like the first minute, is they have audio. It's not footage. What do you call it if it's audio? Clips? Yeah, sound. They have tapes. Yeah, Yeah, they have sounds, tapes of this man who who committed these horrible crimes speaking to another person. I believe it's a, a reporter or a journalist. And so you are you're hearing his voice throughout the entire documentary. And then you're also seeing them tell this story. And I didn't even like completely get this until the second part. And I believe it's only a four part. It's a shorter documentary. Um, I said to Jimmy, I said, all of those, they have so many visual clips in that first episode. And none of them are him. Like, it's not like they were following him around and they had this footage to work with. But I didn't even realize that it was done that well. Like, they they made the footage fit so well with with his story. I felt like, you know, there are different ways to tell stories, one of them being more simplistic and then one of them being more dynamic. And they both work. And I feel like, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like brands should kind of like stick to one one path or the other or do both well i'll answer that in a a second but (laughs) like the question i have off of this is that at any point in time did you feel like you were alone with him because of the way that the you hear his voice and it's just it's it's his voice with you as the viewer watching it did you feel that like it's such a loaded question and i'm laughing because I have to admit that I felt this way, and I know that there were a lot of jokes going around on Netflix about this, because this guy is very attractive and very charismatic. So, like, you kind of find yourself falling in love with him a little bit. 
throughout this documentary, even terrifying. knowing that he like is terrifying. terrifying. Like I know I'm not the only one. Like go on, go on, you know, Reddit or whatever. Sure, like, there, sure. There's so much about this, but like that just that just speaks to how intimate that kind of experience can feel when the story is told in such a good way. But that's exactly it, right? So the, 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 the creators of this documentary designed this thing with you. I mean, not you, but yeah. you in mind where it was, we want people to feel exactly how all of these women felt. Yes. So you, you recreate this entire horrific I'm getting chills. Uh, Storyline, <laughs> but we take the viewer and we make them basically these women who all suffered at at, at the hands and 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 mind of, of Ted Bundy. And I think that's the takeaway for me when you talk about like how do brands kind of navigate this? It starts with your audience. It starts with putting your audience, I think, at the center of whatever it is you're looking, you know, to do. Um, you know, we talked about this with Nike earlier, their emphasis, I mean, has really been over the last recently has been around activism, whether it's, you know, um, you know, women's rights and, and women can do anything. Kaepernick's video, young girls getting involved in sports and I, they're putting their main audience that they're looking to hit at the forefront of everything that they do. So I think that's sort of the the takeaway for me when it comes to great storytelling, whether it's through documentaries or whatnot, because I felt that way during the keepers and, you know, no, no, no young males suffered at yes. the hands of these, these, these clergymen and these priests and whatever it is in that, you know, but you felt that way. I think it's the exact same thing with brands. It's taking your audience and putting them at the center of the experience, whatever create, whatever experience you are designing for them, you want them to kind of feel like it's it it's exactly for them the person watching it. and that's what nike does so well that's what we've seen you know um, some of these these documentaries whether they're wartime documentaries like the vietnam one that we were talking about you feel like you're there um and that's a really unique and special feeling that's i think a great that's a great story so i have a challenge in all of this. And I feel like we've probably taught, I mean, I know for sure we've talked about documentaries before. I'm sure we've talked about storytelling as well. But for people listening to this who don't make documentaries and who don't make movies, what are the ways that we can tell those same stories through different mediums and in different ways? Because I think at least a lot of my audience are trying to, I mean, I, everyone is trying to sell something, whether you're actually selling a product or an idea or just making a movie for people to consume. But I go back to something like, and I kind of have a solution for this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Something like for some of my students who have Etsy shops and say they're selling a, a kid's birthday invitation. I'm going to throw myself under the bus here because I've seen a lot of people do this, but I also did this early on, which is you put a listing up and you say, actually, mine mine was to a different horrible level where my shop and my listing was like, oh, yeah, you know, Michelle is a BFA degree holding graduate of this graphic design program who creates quality designs. And like your audience is like, or the person who's going to buy a kid's birthday invitation is like, 
all right, like, why are you wasting my time telling me that information? Mm-hmm. What they want to hear is, and you're, you're now an audience for this because you have a young son. Like when you're going to plan Ryan's first birthday party, you're going to be looking for verbiage that makes you connect to it. It's going to say like, you know, do you have a giggly, smiley one-year-old who loves, you know, and responds to like bright colors? And of course, I have no idea what I'm talking about because I don't have kids. But I'm not going. I'm not going through you. <laughs> but continue. Continue. Th- but what you're really you're not trying to say buy this invitation from me. You're trying to communicate to your audience and to your potential buyer that. I understand exactly who this is for. And I I think for some of us who have built our businesses around something that we're really passionate about, we have like the upper hand in being able to say like, and I've lived and I'm living it. So someone who has a little boy and created an invitation for them and maybe are, are reselling it to someone else, I would even go as far as to say, hey, like I made this for my son's birthday. Like, let me tell you some of the qualities about him. And then in the buyer reading that, they would say, or they would think like, oh my goodness, my son is just like that. This would yeah. be the perfect invitation for him. You're bringing them into the story, right? And I think that's sort of the, that's that's the key. You know, blogs, videos, Instagram stories, put the platform aside. Your story, what matters to you and your audience other people can identify stories are the great equalizer. You know, um, I, I think that's kind of the big, you know, logic appeals, you know, to, to you know, to people's reason, ability to reason, but it doesn't make them mem- remember anything. Mm-hmm. Stories do. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is, is that we're sort of experiencing this now with Ryan because of all the things and he doesn't watch a lot of TV. I mean, he's only seven months old, but <laughs> The one thing he he locks onto is Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, oh. which is the offshoot of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and um, it's special for me because I mean we've talked mm-hmm. about it for 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 years now how much I love him, but you know there's this like as soon as the theme song starts he stops what he's doing and turns his head to watch whatever's on the TV and and you know between my stories and what I remember it and talking to Rachel about it, all of a sudden now it's become this big like family thing and it's become our storyline. Now they're not intentionally, I mean, maybe they are, but they're not intentionally like selling anything, but they're, you know, they know they have parents who are watching this with their young kids and there's certain elements of the show that you're like, I remember that and this, and this is how, and all of a sudden it becomes a bigger part of your day and your experience in, in, in raising your son or my son in this case. And I think that's the lesson for brands is it's not talking at your audience. It's not selling them on something. It's taking your story. It's taking what makes you and your, your brand unique and bringing your audience into that story and showing them the warts. This is one of the things that I think you do so well with your, your, your business is hurdles, challenges, wins, um, it doesn't really matter what you experience. I think you share in those experiences with your your audience, with your 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 fellow designers, creators, people who are buying from you, because every one of those things people identify with. I think so often we get 
you know, as, as individuals, we get so caught up in showing warts and letting, you know, making people think that, or being afraid that people are going to think less of us or less of our brand because, you know, we've, we've allowed people to see a fracture. Um, I think that's the stuff that, that raises the level of how people look at you because you're being honest with them. So that's really what it's about. It's about honesty and it's about allowing, allowing your audience to really be a part of that story and, and put them at the focus and put them at the center of it. And I think we just need to remember that we are all people. I mean, this is why it, influencers have the jobs that they do is because they are, whether they're trying out a product or they're trying on clothes and they're saying, this is making my life better. And not just saying this is making my life better. I mean, maybe the bad ones do that, but the ones who are actually like showcasing, Hey, I joined this fitness program and like, here's, you can follow along with my journey. It's not just the before and after anymore. It's like, you know, here's day 35 and here's where I'm at. Like you get to see all of that. And in that, because you're a human being, you say, Hey, like, I'm a person too. I'm also struggling with weight or, you know, trying to pick out the best outfit, whatever this influencer is talking about. And you you think, okay, if it's working for them, maybe it'll work for me. It's funny that you say this. I don't think I've ever told you this story before, but you got me thinking about this. I have a number of Dallas Cowboy jerseys that I've owned over the years. And I, you know, I still have a, a decent collection, but over the last two or three years, I've sort of sold a lot of them on, on eBay. And, um, for one or two of the jerseys that were kind of like special to me, but you know, they don't fit anymore. Cause I've, you know, you get taller, you don't really have any use for them anymore. I remember in the, in the description of the, of the item, you know, I would, I, you know, there was ones that you just kind of put up there with the size and the information. And then there were other ones where you're like, you know, wore this during the, you know, the 2006 wildcard loss to Seattle. This thing has seen a lot of, a lot of games and whatever it is. And you almost put a different, you know, you put a story to the Jersey because you know, the people buying the jerseys likely are going to be Cowboys fans. So yes. they can identify in, in what it says there. And on some of them, uh, I, I can't say it was for every one of them, but I saw more more bidding on the jerseys that actually had stories to them about games that I wore them for, or or um, you know memories that I remember having wearing them uh, than you did for just like the one off you know listing that you put up there with just the product information on it. And I think that's sort of like you know we get so caught up in the transaction. This goes beyond eBay here. I think as brand owners, we get so caught up in transactions and sales that you know, we forget the creativity to the process. Um, and then that, that connection that you have with the audience, it sort of loses its, its impact. And I think that's sort of, you know, what we have to remember as we're going through this storytelling seems like such a daunting task, but in many ways, I'm sure if you ask people who are listening to this, um, storytelling has also sort of lost its emphasis, I think, because it's become such a buzzword that I think people are starting to kind of turn away from it a little bit because it becomes kind of like not in vogue. But I would really caution against that. Um, it is at the heart of everything that I think we're, we're, we're meant to do, but it's about doing it right and not being so afraid about, you know, putting the audience at the center of the experience, whatever that experience is, your sales process, your story, what your brand stands for. I think that's where you start to see that, you know, you see the, the, the payoff. To bring this full circle from the very first thing that I said in this episode, I feel like we've pretty much hammered this point home, but I want to mention it one more time because 
as we're wrapping this up and you guys might be listening to this and excited to think of some creative ways that you can inject storytelling into your brands, don't just follow the steps. Don't say like, okay, I need to be a storyteller now and think of it as a checkbox. As you're going through your day, as you're looking at your work or creating new work, try to get in touch with your feelings as to why you're creating it. If you are someone who, like me, talks about the process um, and like struggles, I guess basically if your audience are people who are also doing like what you're doing, don't be afraid to show those things. Like that is your story. This is like Steve said, like this is not as difficult as you think it is. It definitely shouldn't be be difficult. If anything, it should be easy because it's just, it's you being you. Right. And I think that's sometimes, you know, we, we've talked about this Hitchcock quote over the years that, um, he, he would never really, um, his stuff must look real. The content that he produced in, in films must look real and feel real, but it never must be actually real because reality is something that none of us can stand. Mm-hmm. And, I sort of think that applies to to the storytelling piece because yes, you want reality, right? Yes, you want things that that feel real, but that's the key. It feels real. It it, it makes you feel like you're a part of whatever it is that the brand is trying to sort of to to put out there. Is you know how many people around the world are going to live the dream that that young girl did in the most recent Nike ad? I don't know. Probably not, <laughs> not a lot. But it's the aspiration. It's the it's the drive, it's the training, it's, it's to get up off the couch and go do it. And, and I think that's what they were kind of going for. I think it's the exact same way, whether you're working, you know, in a, in a small business or for a larger company, people are invested in your brand for a reason. They care about your brand for a reason. They remember something from their childhood. Um, you know, there's, there's an element of nostalgia to, um, you know, their, their, their purchase history. Um, all of those elements that are, that are a part of what makes them connected to you are, those are your building blocks to, to, to tell stories off of and to kind of, you know, dip into when you need, you know, a, a, an ad campaign or create a piece of content. That's what you're referring back to. I know that we have already brought this up before, but I feel like it's worth bringing up again, that campaign that was this, I believe may have happened in Europe or South America. It was not an American campaign or maybe I don't, I'm going to totally butcher this, but it, whatever it was, was promoting organ donation. And I believe it was something like you can donate your organs to specifically another fan of a team that you like. Okay. Do you remember what, like what that organization was or what's, was it for soccer? I, well, that's a good bet if it was in if it was in Europe or or, or South America. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that though, but I wonder if that's like you know, maybe that's the appeal, right? You you know where it's going to. You know it's going to somebody who's who's just as passionate about you know something as you are. So it may entice you more to 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 donate your you know to be an organ donor. Yeah, and that's like like life changing. And I mean, I will find the link to that campaign. It's it was really powerful and, and emotional to to watch and to think that, you know, if you saw someone walking down the street that you didn't know and you said, like, would you do- donate an organ to that person? No. But once you're presented in this family, if you will, of of fellow 
fans of this common thing, whether it be a sport or something else, then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, like we're, we're all part of the same family. I, like I would consider that now. If you were up, if you had a choice to donate organs to a Seinfeld fan or an I Love Lucy fan, oh. who, who would you give your organs to? <laughs> I don't want to even like tell you what like my initial thought was because it's so wrong. <laughs> but I was, uh, I'll just say it. I was like, oh, like, you know, anyone who's an I Love Lucy fan is probably close to dying anyway. So probably a Seinfeld fan. <laughs> That is a horrible thought. It is horrible. Yeah. But you prompted it, so. Seinfeld debuted 30 years ago. 30 oh, years right. ago this year. Right. 89 to 99, or 89 to, to 2019. And did the actual date, because it was kind of like a summer. So let's say you were 40 thing. when you first watched Seinfeld, or 50. You could be 80. So. That's true. That's you know. true. I think what it just means is, is that we watch old shows. Yes. That's definitely true. If there was a storytelling opportunity about people who watch old sitcoms, I, I think we'd be suckered in pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, if there is a documentary, like, they'd be knocking on our door. Yeah. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod for creators and let us know what stood out to you. Exactly. We need a producer, man. We need an entire <laughs> producer. That would be amazing to have just like a another you know another voice yeah i can look for that who would who would also edit the show for us <laughs> no i i, I really you like be a, you can come on and be a host of the show but you have to do all the work <laughs> yes and you can't speak as much as we do <laughs> right because we own this we own the stake in this faces your are name is not on the show but right. <laughs> we'll let you talk if you press the button <laughs> right right